You're listening to the No Sassholes Show, where we're optimizing marketing strategies one sass at a time. Brought to you by Interact, a SaaS marketing partner. Hey everybody, I'm Samantha Cuellar and this is the No Sassholes Show. I have a very special guest with me today, Lincoln Murphy. How are you, Lincoln? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Cool. Yeah, we are so stoked to have you. Thank you for um, setting time out of your day for this. Let's just jump right in. Today, we're going to be discussing free trials and freemium, just kind of the differences, the terms in itself, and best practices for that. I've been reading a lot of your articles, and in one of them, uh, the freemium or free trial, you state that there's a better question. Can you elaborate on what that means uh, for people who haven't read the article? Yeah, I mean, I, I usually get asked, you know, what, well, should we do a free trial or should we do freemium? And the reality is those are not things that you can really compare. It's, it's, they, they sound similar because there's free in the name, um, but they're really apples and oranges. Um, freemium is this, is this thing where uh, there's actually a lot of psychology involved. And I'm not a psychologist, but I play one every day when I try to figure out why people do what they do. Um, and what I've discovered is that freemium, because there's no time limit, because it's this idea that um, a lot of times it's mismanaged expectations with the with the people that sign up for your your product. It's this idea that I can use this product for free forever. There's no time scarcity. Um, there's just a lot of things that are that are different from a free trial where there's time scarcity. It's a it's literally just a trial of a premium product. You can't use it forever for free. You use it for the amount of time that you get the trial, and then you either buy it or you don't and you go away, right? So there's, there's, they're very different. And with freemium, you don't just want to offer a free product forever for anybody. There's what I call the quid pro quo. There has to be a reason why you would offer this product for free for, for people to use, right? Write that down. I mean, unless you're actually running a charity, which is noble, if you're trying to run a business, you don't want to just be running a charity and giving away your product for free. So there has to be something you're going to get in return. You're either going to get potentially those, those users to become a paying customer, which is very unlikely in a freemium setting. You know, the best companies out there are, are getting in the low single digits. One of the, one of the darlings of the freemium world, Evernote is predicted to be one of the unicorns that dies this year. I mean, it's like, in, and they were getting anywhere from 1% to 10% conversion, depending upon how you look at the data. But overall, it's like in the 1% range. So banking on your free users becoming paying customers is pretty low. So you want to get other things from them. You want them to help, to help you spread the word, right? And so you look at something like Slack, where the, the users are really powering that expansion, that land and expand within companies, and then that expansion, that viral expansion beyond uh, the company's walls. Slack has has really nailed that. So your your users are either going to bring value um, by paying you money, which is not going to happen, or they're going to bring value by spreading the word, um, or they're going to bring value by using the product, and then you can actually you know get something from that. Maybe it's user generated content, maybe it's analytics data, uh, interesting statistics that you can then take and spin out and use that as your inbound marketing. Um, you know, there's lots of things like that, or maybe you can directly monetize the usage of the, of the product. So there's, there's lots of different ways that free users can provide value, which is, which is awesome. But if you don't have any of those and you end up really just with people using your product for free, then freemium is probably not the right 
the right model for you. And of course, all of that is predicated on the fact that you have a big enough audience so that you can get enough people in there to get the value from. And you know, most products, most most SaaS startups um, aren't necessarily in a big enough market where they they can get one percent conversion rate and and have a viable business. Right? They need they, they really need to focus on on something else. And so, free trials are generally going to be the the way to go for probably most companies if we're, if if everybody's honest and again it's a it's a trial of a premium product and very different from freemium that kind of goes into my next question a little bit in the middle of that you mentioned being able to define the value from uh, free trial users so what's required for companies to ensure that they are receiving and analyzing that value so in a in a freemium model um, you know, you have to know why you have to know what value you're going to get from your, from your users. I mean, you just have to know that. And if you don't know that probably going into a freemium model is going to be difficult, uh, at, at, at best, it's going to be difficult if, if not just completely a disaster. I mean, you might not know, you know, when we're starting something, we don't know what we don't know, right. But we have to have a, have a hypothesis around that. And a lot of companies that I see going into freemium, they don't even have that hypothesis. They're not even thinking about what value am I going to get from the from the from the users. You know, on the free on the free trial side of things, the value is so much simpler. The, the value is this is a prospect that is trying my product. They think they're evaluating the product, but my job is to get them to actually use it so that when it comes time to convert them to a paying customer, they're already using it. Right? That's just it's so much. It's a, it's a commercial transaction. Right? You're trying my premium product. There's, there's, it's very simple. Freemium has all of these different psychological elements to it that just makes things more difficult. So let's say that I'm an advocate for freemium and I come to you. How would you change my perspective to appreciate free trials more? If you're an advocate for freemium, I, I'm probably not going to try to convince you otherwise. I mean, and hopefully you're an advocate for freemium because you've been in a successful freemium business and you know exactly how it works and exactly how to make it successful. If you're an advocate for freemium because you like free stuff, that's, you're coming at it from the wrong angle, at least as a business owner, right? So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to try to convince anybody uh, one way or the other. You know, if I'm working with a client or something, I'm not even going to try to convince them. I'm going to try to just show them the, the evidence and say, you know, let's, let's figure out, let's go through these steps. What value can we get from a large enough audience to make freemium work? And most of the time, it just doesn't really, you just, you don't check all the boxes and you're like, okay, freemium, even if we could do all of these quid pro quo things and get, get value, you know, the fact that we are a, a, a vertical product, you know, in a very specific market, uh, with a very small audience means that none of that matters because we can't do anything at scale. So this isn't an opinion based thing. Like, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a fan of one thing or the other. It comes down to what I've seen work and, and, and the, the realities behind it. Okay. What is freemium and what are different types of freemium models? I know you mentioned that there's uh, seven different types in one of your articles. So yeah. uh, why does it matter which one a company decides to go with? You know, I, I, I enumerated the types of freemium at one point because, um, because I think the, the idea was that freemium was simply this, this thing where you, you let somebody use like a limited version of your product. And then at some point, you know, they'll, they'll pay you to use the full version. And it's funny, even when I wrote this probably several, several years ago, um, I referred to that as classic freemium, 
right? And and so even then we had moved on to these different types of freemium from land and expand, you know, which is where you kind of come in, get your foot in the door, and then you you grow the user base internally, and then you know at some point you monetize that. Companies like Box, even even uh, Yammer was the 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 classic uh, example of that from a few years ago. Now Slack is definitely. Uh, that where you know people within your company will bring bring in your product for free, and then you know maybe at some point I don't think Slack does this right now, but Box certainly does, where they say you know eighty percent of your of your employees are using our solution, you know, on a personal level, you know, probably for your company files. How would you like to have some control over that, right? And so the employees brought them brought the brought the product in. But now we come in sort of following up with an enterprise sales approach to say, let's bring all of those, those, those accounts together. Let's give you some control and some visibility and, you know, increase security and all of that stuff around what's already happening. Box sort of backed into that. I don't think that they necessarily set out, although origin stories tend to, tend to change over time. Um, but, you know, take something like Slack where you can, you basically pay for more control and more visibility into who is using your, you know, using uh, your, who's in your channels, right? So, you know, they let people come in for free. And then at some point, the IT folks or, or management is going to say, you know, we want to control who can actually have access to these things so that we're going to pay for that control. That type of landing expand is, is really, I don't say it's really popular. Not a lot of companies do that, but the ones that are doing that are actually quite successful. Um, and then just every, I was trying to also look at like, um, some products are freemium, but they really appear to be more like a limited free trial because when you when you give a free version of your product, but it's so crippled, you know, you can't really you the experience is bad, you know, you're it's you're not really giving them the full experience. So even if it is free, you know, it's it's feature limited, it's it's reduced uh, experience. That's not good. You don't really get the the full, you know, you, it, it's not useful, right? And and there were just various pretty much just variations on on those the main point was to say look you know what we think of as freemium is evolving and if i went back and rewrote that article today i would probably add several i'd probably combine some of those categories and add several different um different options like like i said and i would i would add companies like slack and and uh and and box i don't know that i added those back then i would probably take evernote out of the uh you know the 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 one to to watch you know category and be like the one to watch as it tumbles and I have to figure out how to get my files to some other safety. So yeah, it's, it's bottom line is there's just all sorts of different ways to approach. It. And I think the other message was, was to, to SAS owners, which is don't fall into this trap of you have to do something a certain way. Write that down. I've seen recently Slack is a great example. People will say, you know, Slack broke the pricing, the SAS pricing rules or, or this or that. Like, Slack didn't break any rules because there aren't any. You know, a lot of companies, like the, the ones that are identified as unicorns today are, are the ones that really just kind of went and did their own thing, right? And so I, I kind of wanted to say, look, here's, here's the seven different ways you can do freemium, but you don't have to be limited to these, right? You certainly don't have to be limited to, to classical freemium, and you certainly don't have to be limited to these. Use your imagination and use what works for you and your business. Yeah, I remember reading, you said, I forgot what the topic was, but... You said just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean that you can't do it. Totally. I mean, that's like, that's a whole nother subject. But I mean, it's the companies that are remarkable are the ones that are doing things, you know, that we, that we would remark about are the ones that are doing things that are unique, right? They're, they're, they're breaking the rules, but really what they're doing is they're just doing what's right for them, what's right for their market, 
and they're, and they're not just copying what every other company before them did. So I don't know why you would want to not be like that, right? Go out, take a chance, be an entrepreneur, try something, right? Be, be unique. You know, if it doesn't work out, at least you went down being unique. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So the next question is, what is premium plus free trial? I've been trying to read up on that and I'm just kind of gray area. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just trying to differentiate. So instead of just saying freemium versus free trial, I really wanted to differentiate and say there's freemium, which is free plus pre plus, you know, some sort of premium thing. And then there's, there's a, a premium product that has a free trial of that premium product. And those are two different things The like I said earlier, the freemium is really like, it's usually car- a carved out you know, subset of functionality that you can use forever for free. And then maybe you this is the classical freemium. And then you buy, you know, you can, if you want to use the whole thing, you pay money. Free trial is generally, here's the, the premium product and you can try the whole thing. And then, you know, after some amount of time, you can pay money to use the whole thing or you can stop using it altogether. Um, that was the, the distinction there. I just wanted to be, you know, get, get us thinking about a free trial does not exist on its own a free plan may exist on its own. It may be, you know, you may have a free version of a product that literally just exists on its own and somebody can use that for free forever. A free trial is a finite thing that gives you a window, you know, into the use of a, of a stand of another product. It's, it doesn't stand on its own. Right. So that was the distinction. I, you know, I, I tend to try to make things easier and I end up muddying the waters a little bit, but trying to, trying to move the conversation forward a little bit with some of these thoughts. Okay, cool. The next question, some people are against using free trials because of low conversion rates and they blame the free trial model. So what's really going on with that or what's your take on that? So, um, yeah, (laughs) Um, generally speaking, you're going to see people complaining about low conversion rate. They're looking at conversion rate. So they might say, you know, I, I can get a higher conversion rate if I don't have a free trial and I'm, I'm looking at only the number of sales I get off of this channel or, you know, I, I require a credit card up front and then, you know, I get more, more sales because of that. So the, or I get more, I get a higher conversion rate out of that. But what I would look is I would, I would not focus on conversion rate. I would look at other like overall numbers. Generally speaking, if you offer a free trial, again, this is generally speaking, sometimes this isn't how it works out, but most of the time, um, you're going to get more people in the top of the funnel because you offer a free trial. Um, you're going to, you know, and you, you, well, we'll talk about that in a second. You, you get more people in, which means even if you have a slightly lower conversion rate, you're still going to get more people, more actual sales, more actual customers out the other end of the, of the funnel. And that's, that's the idea. We want as many people to try our product as possible. But where most people go wrong is they don't think about it that way. They don't think about these are prospects, prospective customers coming into the top of the funnel and moving through and becoming customers. They think of these as freeloaders. They think of these as a burden. I don't even, I don't understand this. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I, 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 usually when somebody's telling me I don't like free trials, you know, I just sort of, I black out and I, I fall over because it doesn't make any sense. We blame the customers. I get bad customers. I get people who are tire kickers and they don't really want to do anything. Like, look, if you're getting bad people in the top of your funnel, bad people, if you're getting, you know, poor quality prospects in the top of your funnel, that's your fault. 
write that down because you're attracting those people or you're not doing anything to push them away and and get the better customers in so you don't you don't have an ideal customer profile uh defined you don't have your marketing set up to to appeal to their desired outcome and you don't have a free trial that's designed to turn your prospect into a customer most of the time free trials in my in, in the way that i i mean the, all the ones that i see the, my conclusion is that most free trials are not designed to convert prospects to customers, uh, which is their only job. In fact, most of the time, free trials aren't even designed at all. You know, it's just sort of you sign up and you dump them into the product and, you know, maybe 30 days later, send you an email that says your trial is about to expire and then I'll wonder why nobody converts. And I'll blame the free trial and I'll blame the customer and I'll go put up a credit card wall and I'll do all that stuff. And the reality is it's your fault. You know, it's not the free trial. It's not, it's not a free trial. It's not the problem. It's the way that you implemented it. If you implemented anything else in your business as halfway as you did the free trial, you know, would you blame that other thing? Probably, because that's, that's the way human nature is. Um, but, the, you know, we, we have to treat free trials as something more than just a box on a, on a flow chart. We have to think of it as this process that takes a prospect from being a prospect to being a customer. It has to be designed, and very few SaaS companies out there really, really design their free trials. The ones that do, they don't complain about the conversion rate. You know, they they're 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 crushing it. So, you know, if you want to complain about your conversion rate, go ahead. But you should probably also take a, a really you know deep look at what's going on and figure out if it's if you should be blaming the free trial or, or blaming yourself, and then get over it and then go fix it. So, oh, so that's kind of where like customer success and product and customer development comes into play. Yep. I mean, know, know what your customers are, you know, what, know what the, their, their desired outcome is and, and operationalize around that. And that starts pre-sale. That starts, you know, in, the, in, the, in your sales and marketing, when you are speaking the language of your ideal customer, when you're talking about their desired outcome, and it starts to become something that is um, a lot, you know, it becomes a real part of the relationship with the customer in, in the free trial. And it happens when, you know, they, they convert and it happens in the early days as a customer and it, it continues on. Right. So customer success starts early. Um, the seeds of churn are planted early, all those things I say, but the seeds of massive success are also planted very early. And if you can get your, your, your prospects to a point where becoming a paying customer is the most logical next step. And you get them to that point quickly in the free trial, then you're going to, you, you, you can, you know, get them to value quickly. And then the more, the, the quicker you can get them to value, the more likely they are to be an advocate for you. All this stuff is totally related. But so often we're thinking there's pre-sales and there's post-sales and customer success is post-sales and everything that happens pre-sales is where the real action is. But the reality is, of course, once they become a customer, that's when the hard work starts. Because that's when, you know, you're going to spend the, so much more time with them when they're a customer than just the pre-sales stuff. But we still have this mentality and it's not just SaaS. It's just it's in business. You know, sale, the sales guys rule the world, and and everything else is just sort of secondary. And it's like the the initial sale is really important, right? Getting converting that customer is really important because we have to have them as a customer. But it's not it's it's not any more important than the other ninety nine percent of the of the overall relationship we're going to have with the customer that comes after that. So we need to get away from from that thinking and, and just think at the very least. Customer success needs to be across the entire customer lifecycle, including starting very early. I totally agree. Implementing it is is harder said than done, but sure. um, I, I completely agree. Okay, so 
a prospective customer goes on his seven-day free trial or whatever, what are effective inbound marketing strategies to pull potential customers back in after their free trial has ended? Okay, so first of all, don't let them get to that point. Write that down. Right. I mean, and, and I say that joking, but the reality is a lot of companies will just, they won't, they won't communicate with the prospect during the trial and then the trial expires and then they work diligently to get them back in. It's like work diligently to get them to value quickly so that they become a paying customer. And then now you're working on the edge cases that didn't convert. It doesn't have to be the other way. But um, that said, you know, I think one of the main things is um, don't stop nurturing your customer just because they didn't convert. Right. Don't, you know, don't. And I see this all the time. It's like, well, they did. They tried the product and they didn't they didn't become a customer and we're done. No, man, don't don't do that. Put them on a nurture track. Uh, every once in a while, you know, try to get them to, to maybe restart their trial. I'm a big believer in people asking for extensions being sort of a sign that, that something isn't right. But, you know, if they ask for an extension, give it to them. Just make sure that, you, that there's some, again, a little bit of quid pro quo there. Like, I'm going to give you an extension on your trial, but you need to let me know, like, what you're going to do this time around to, you know, to get value out of it. Um, so, but, you know... So you could actually then go back and proactively offer them an extension on the trial if they'll have a conversation with you. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is continue to nurture. We know that we, we, we should know the catalyst that caused them to sign up for the trial in the first place. Like, you know, there was a reason that they wanted to buy your product, or at least they, they thought your product would do what it needed to do. Um, that catalyst probably didn't go away. Right? It's just that somehow they didn't see that your product was going to help them do it, or they got busy and they, and they, they ran out of time, especially if you're talking about like a seven-day free trial. Uh, I'm a bigger a believer in, in lar- larger free trial, longer free trials, um, because free trial, the, the length of the free trial is really just um, you know, a, a way to make them feel comfortable that they'll be able to have enough time to try out your product. Um, we need to decouple the length of the free trial from the actual sales cycle. I mean, I might still want to try to convert them in seven days, but they, they think they have a 30-day free trial, which they do, but my goal is to convert them in, in only seven days. Um, so we nurture. If we know that somebody that signed up for a trial and at this particular time, um, you know, there were some issues with the product or we didn't have some features, um, then in, you know, some of the marketing that we can do is go back and let them know we can let them know directly. We can put this on our, on our, on our blog. We can talk about the features that we now have, right? Cause we know they didn't have those. If they cited something specific on, on an exit survey, um, then we should be able to update their, their customer record and we should be able to email them, uh, as a cohort and say, you know, we know you, you wanted this feature. Well, guess what? Now we have it come back and try the product for another 30 days. Right. So the, 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 the common assumption is if they didn't buy your product, they probably went on and bought another product, but that's, that's probably false. They probably just didn't do anything. So chances are you can get them back that way. Um, make sure you have retargeting pixels um, on, your, on your marketing site, but also throughout the free trial so that uh, you know, if they didn't do something, if they, if they, didn't, you know, if they made it a certain place, um, you're at least at the very least, you know, you can, you can pixel them to know that they signed up for the trial. Then you can do some interesting things to try to get them back through Twitter and Facebook and, and other display networks. So there's, there's all sorts of things you can do like that. And then of course, trying to infiltrate their, 
their network of trusted advisors. So, you know, stay, stay constantly top of mind through people that they trust so that when they are in your trial, you know, they're, they're this guy over here that they trust, they see your product, this lady that they trust as a consultant or whatever, they see your product. So kind of trying to stay top of mind like that, that always really helps. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just don't stop marketing to your, to your prospect once they're in the trial. Um, and don't stop marketing even if they don't become a paying customer, right? It doesn't mean that they don't like you. It doesn't mean that they've given up. Maybe life got in the way and they just didn't get a chance to, to sign up. So constantly nurture them until they opt out. Don't opt them out on their, you know, for, the, for them. Don't opt out for them, right? Continue marketing. Cool. Yeah, I, I like that last one of saying, staying on top of mind. It's not necessarily direct marketing. You're not targeting right. them, but, but you're in their face. Cool. Okay. One of the last questions that I wanted to ask, well, before the, the fun ones, uh, what are some onboarding best practices to upgrade free trial users? So the, the, the biggest one is, is ask for the sale. Write that down. So like understand what point you, your customer gets to or your prospect gets to where becoming a paying customer is the most logical next step. I say that all the time. It sounds so easy. You know, like you said earlier, it's the execution and all the stuff that matters. But generally speaking, we can figure out if a customer, if a prospect does this stuff within the trial, they have probably either received value from the trial or for the first time outside of sales and marketing, they finally see the real value potential. It's at that point that I should be able to make them an offer. And it can either be Literally just, hey, you know, sign up so you don't miss out you know, when the trial expires. Or I could make them a discount offer. I, I would not discount them on the version that they, they, they opted in for. I would try to you know, give them a discount on a larger version, or I would try to add some, some other things from you know, partners or, uh, or what have you, make, you know, really build up the value and give them a discount on that. So you can make them an offer or just ask for the sale. And where most people go wrong... Uh, is that they don't understand the point where becoming a paying customer is the most logical next step and they don't ask for the sale. You know what? I mean, I'd say the easy one is forget about that other step. Just ask for the sale. At some point early on in the free trial, make it easy to become a paying customer. That's where everybody goes wrong. I mean, so often. So ask for the sale. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. it. It's Ideally, you're going to build it around knowing when, when becoming a paying customer is the most logical next step, but probably just ask for the sale. Okay. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, sounds easy. <laughs> All right. So that's the round of, I guess, serious questions. And I, I had a few that are a little bit more fun. So okay. who is your hero or who do you look up to? Hmm. Um, that's interesting. I, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I read, I, I'm, I don't know everything. So, I mean, I, I, I look up to everybody. I honestly am kind of one of those people that um, I try to look for people that, can, that I can learn from across the board. I don't really follow any one person. I don't really have a, a personal hero, but I think I can learn from everybody. So, like, I, I speak at events all the time and, you know, I get up on stage in front of thousands of people and I'll, I'll spread the word about something but I will learn more at those events than, than the people that heard will learn from me. Right. So, I mean, I, it's the conversations I have with, with everybody from the, 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 the other speakers to the people asking questions. So I'm not a big believer in, in having heroes. Um, but I am a big believer in, in having lots of teachers. 
Yeah, a quote I go by is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. In the wrong room, yeah, so. absolutely. Cool, okay, well, the next question, how do you organize your closet? So my closet is most of the time a, a travel bag. <laughs> okay. And it includes a black t-shirt and jeans. I have like a uniform. So, I mean, I, it's, I'm a very, I mean, I, it's funny. I wouldn't even say I'm incredibly organized. I just have a very limited number of choices. <laughs> That's actually one of the questions we ask uh, during interviews here at Interact. Mm. So, so I was like, let me, I want to throw that in there and see what he says. All right. And speaking of SAS, do you know what a SAS hole is? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can make some assumptions. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, one day um, our team was having lunch and we were going to inbound the conference 2015 and um, we came up with SAS holes. And at first it seemed kind of negative because it sounded like we were calling SAS owners SAS holes and we're like, let's not, let's not go down that, down that road. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the SAS whole term was born um, and what it means is that there's a hole in a marketing strategy or an opportunity uh, to optimize marketing strategies within a SaaS company. So that's where the term came from and people loved it at the last few conferences we were at and we have shirts now, um, Twitter handle, a website, so it's kind of taken off and now we have the podcast, the No SaaS Hole Show. So uh, it's been fun. Uh, so with that said, with the background of SAS holes, what's one of the biggest SAS holes you've seen and how did you help solve it? Well, I mean, the thing that just immediately comes to mind is this concept that I came up with called success gaps. Write that down. Which is, which is a pretty interesting um, and pretty powerful concept, uh, which is basically to say that you, you know, if, if we focus too much on the functional use of our product, uh, we might miss these opportunities where to, to really help our customer achieve their desired outcome. This happened, this actually came from this idea of, um, or this came from email marketing. I, I, one year I worked with like eight different email marketing companies and it was crazy. It just so happened that was the case. And what, what I found was really interesting is that a lot of the, a lot of the movement in the email marketing world was not net new email marketers coming into the space, it was really moving people moving from one vendor to another, right? So someone would be using MailChimp and it wouldn't, they wouldn't get the results they wanted, so they moved to AWeber and they wouldn't get the results they wanted, so they moved to GetResponse. And they're, they're basically the same products, right? So what's going on there? Well, and then you start looking at what, what, what these companies, and I worked with GetResponse as well as several others, but what we started looking at was how do we know or how do we think how do we measure the success of a customer? We look at it and we say, they're functionally using the product. They're building their list. They're sending their emails. The emails are getting opened and there you go. Well, the, it turns out that the desired outcome of the customer is not to send an email. The desired outcome of the customer is what? To get more sales, to get people to their events, what have you. So if we're saying that, that they're successful because they're using the product, but they're not making more sales or they're not getting people to their events, then that's the success gap. They can use the product, but if they don't, if it's still possible for them not to achieve their desired outcome, then that's a success gap. And we need to be able to bridge that. So what we did actually get response, built a landing page uh, builder. So they would actually be able to control, you know, whether or not, you know, when they, when you linked out to a new page, but, you know, just bringing in experts, helping you in the product and helping you through education, write better subject lines, write emails that are compelling, have a good call to action, have a great landing page, how to reduce 
unsubscribes, all that stuff. So this one company in a space very crowded with very similar products, you know, was really kind of changed the, the game. And, and that really made me think, okay, is that applicable to other types of companies? And it turns out that is applicable in just about every business, SaaS or otherwise. There's going to be some way for your customer to not achieve their desired outcome, even if they use your product fully. And, and that's, that's interesting. If you don't take that into consideration, you really could be missing out on, on a lot of revenue. You can be losing customers and you may not know why. You look and you'll say, my active customers are churning. Well, active customers, if active means anything, they shouldn't be churning. So something's obviously going on there. So success gaps, that's, that's my, that would be my SaaS hole. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah, I can totally tell how the, the two terms are similar. And that's all the questions I have. So again, Lincoln, thank you so much for meeting with me today. And we'll keep in touch. And I look forward to reading your upcoming blogs. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Now go get your hands dirty and fix some sass holes. 